Hey everyone, it's Rachel. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so glad that you have joined me today. Today I wanted to talk about something really practical and that's how to read and study the Bible. Now I've covered some of this before in a previous episode I did once called Four Questions About the Bible, but today I'm dedicating this whole episode to reading and studying the Word. Before I really begin, I want to start with explaining a few things first. For starters, what is the Bible even all about? Well, the Bible itself contains history, poetry, entertaining stories, philosophy, and personal letters. But above all that, the Bible is God's word to us, and it's God revealing himself to us, and it tells us who we are and how we've sinned against God and his plan to save us through Jesus Christ. A lot of people tend to read the Bible through their own filter of their own desires and cultural understandings, and by doing so, they end up assuming that the meaning of the Bible is flexible and therefore making the context not really relevant, and they run the risk of missing the true meaning of the Bible. So it's very important to know that we need to understand the Bible's real context and its real meaning. So the Bible is about God and it doesn't bend to our thoughts or desires. It expresses what God thinks and has planned. Francis Chan once said, We have done everything humanly possible to make church easy. We kept the services short and entertaining, discipleship and evangelism optional, and moral standards low. Our motives were not bad. We just figured that we could attract more people by offering Jesus with minimal commitment. But we ended up producing nominal Christians whose unchanged lives have deterred others from being interested. When we read the Bible poorly, we end up with the easy Christianity that Francis Chan is talking about. When we learn how to properly handle scripture, though, it helps us to think more carefully about the Christian faith, which then in turn helps us to lead better Christian lives. And speaking of easy Christianity, today the Bible is probably the most, if not the most, readily available books in the world. There's not a book that's been printed and bought more than the Bible, and yet when you ask people about it, they'll probably tell you that they haven't actually opened it up and read it. In the same way, a pile of chopped up wood isn't useful until it's lit so that it can provide heat and light, books aren't useful to you unless you actually open it up and read them. Mark Twain once said, A person who won't read has no advantage over a person who can't read. And to me, that's just so powerful because when you think about it, we get sent to school at a very young age in the Western world and we don't usually finish learning until year 12 and then we go off to university and majority of our younger years, we're just learning how to read and then some for the rest of their lives just won't even read a book. What a complete waste. It's illiteracy by choice. Now, I'm not saying this to sound judgmental. I completely understand and can relate to the lack of interest to read. I've been there, you've probably been there, and I know a lot of people who are currently there. But what comes to mind is this encouragement from Romans chapter 12, verses 13 to 14, which in the contemporary English version, it says this, So behave properly as people do in the day. Don't go to wild parties or get drunk or be vulgar or indecent. Don't fight or be jealous, but let the Lord Jesus Christ be as near to you as the clothes that you wear. Then you won't try to satisfy your selfish desires. Now, to some people, that doesn't sound very encouraging, but consider it like this. 
God wants you to know him for real. He wants to be close to you, as close as the clothes are to your skin. Now, this is your invitation to do so. He wants you to know about Jesus and all that he's accomplished through him. He wants you to know how he rescues people, how he helps them in life on their journey, and he wants you to know his amazing plan for your life and for the rest of time. Now, although this is encouraging, please don't misunderstand me. We're not to read the Bible from a self-centered perspective or to cherry-pick verses without looking at the context. Now, I said this earlier. Because when you do so, you miss the amazing power of what's really going on. And a lot of people actually do this today. Uh, not just with the Bible, but with other things. And it actually comes from a whole hyper-personalized approach to all of life. And its name is postmodernism. You've probably heard of it before. Now, I'm not going to go into it fully because I don't want to go too far from the episode's main purpose today, but basically people who subscribe to postmodernism believe that what you think is true, and it may be true for you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true for anyone else. And when someone starts to embrace these assumptions, then it becomes very difficult to properly interpret the Bible, mostly because it's mostly focusing on self. So yeah, don't be deceived by postmodernism and also by false teaching. Okay, I'm going to now get into how to read and study the Bible. Please understand, though, that the following is just my opinion, and I'm sure there are many other great ways to read and study the Bible, and that a lot of people have equally good methods, and I'm not saying that this is the only way, I'm just saying that if you're stuck and need some ideas, here's what I personally would do. Number one. Actually commit to reading and studying the Bible. I think one of the main mistakes that people can often make is by getting their knowledge of God and the Bible through what other people say, like from pastors, Bible commentaries, online articles, and watching debates, etc. And usually it isn't on purpose or anything, but people just end up gravitating towards what they like to hear and what's easier for them to embrace. Jean Fant once said, We talk about the Bible, we sermonize it, we even read other books about it, but we spend precious little time actually reading the Bible. Worse, we rarely read the Bible's actual stories once we reach adulthood. Reading secondary texts about the Bible is no substitute for reading the Bible itself. Now, I've almost fell into this trap myself because at the start of this year, I made a commitment to read the Bible in a year, just like most of us to make that commitment at the start of the year and then fail. But I'm reading the Warren Wearsby B series commentaries alongside my, my yearly Bible study. However, I'm only ordering three commentaries at a time, and where I live, it can take up to two weeks to receive a new package, so it's easy for my Bible reading plan to go further ahead than the commentaries that I have in my possession. So it was very tempting for me to stop my Bible reading in order that I play, you know, catch up in my commentaries, but really, that shouldn't make me stop having my daily time in the Bible. So yeah, don't fall into the trap of not having daily time in the Bible. Don't make up excuses. Nothing could substitute daily time in the Bible itself. I know some people, however, they also just give up entirely and say that reading and studying the Bible is for serious people or professionals or academics or for people who are really crazy about God, like priests or something. But no, the Bible is really for everyone. Can you imagine if we only let professionals do things? I feel like we would never, ever try anything ever again. Every professional had to start at the beginning at some point in their life. So I just feel like, you know, we should all give it a go because you can too. 
And I just started learning on how to how to bake properly and I keep making mistakes and naturally because I only just started to learn properly I d I'm making all these mistakes but if I was to give up because I wasn't naturally amazing and excellent at it then I would never learn how to make really really nice looking cakes and that would be a real shame because I really love food. <laughs> Anyway, another way of looking at it might be helpful in thinking about Bible reading is like this. You can't get in shape and start eating healthy by watching other people exercise and eat well. So in the same way, you can't understand the Bible just by reading about it. You actually have to get into reading it for yourself and get seriously into the text for yourself. So that's definitely number one. Commit to reading the Bible and not any other book. Read the Bible and actually study it. Number two, read and understand the Bible in its context. Now, you've probably heard that even if you read one verse a day, then that's enough Bible reading for you. And I would say yes and no to that one. Yes, because maybe you're trying to build up your Bible reading stamina and you need some wins under your belt before you start reading whole pages or chapters or books at a time. So that I understand. But on the other hand, I would say no, because by reading just one verse at a time, you never really understand what context in which that verse is actually written in. And that is really important to know the context. Because verses belong to paragraphs, paragraphs belong to chapters, chapters belong to books, and books fit into the Bible as a whole. So when we understand the context, it keeps us from making mistakes about the text's actual meaning. When someone is interpreting another language for you so that you can understand what the other person is saying, the interpreter doesn't actually add their own meaning or explain what the other person should have said. Instead, they normally translate what the other person said word for word. So the same is with understanding the Bible. When you're looking at context, you ought to look at the historical background of the time and culture, of the author and their readers. I mean, like, you know, you look at the geography, topography, the political factors, and anything else that might be relevant about the author and their setting. Like, what was the occasion for writing this book? What is its purpose? What is the cultural norm that's being challenged here? And so on. Other than the historical context, though, you can also look at literary context, like genre, structure, and grammar. You'll discover that what's written is connected to our present as well. And when we learn from the text, that's when the Bible really, really comes alive and active for us today. Michael Goheen once said, The biblical story encompasses all of reality, north, south, east, west, past, present, and future. It begins with the creation of all things and ends with the renewal of all things. In between, it offers an interpretation of the meaning of cosmic history. It therefore makes a comprehensive claim. Our stories, our reality, must find a place in this story. So basically, to summarize, just look at who wrote the book, to whom it was written to, when it was written, and why it was written. Also again, let the text speak for itself. Don't try to add your own meaning to what is being said. I have a great Bible that includes these at the start of every book, and it's the Women's Study Bible in the NIV version by Thomas Nelson Publishing. But obviously it has women involved in the editing because it's a women's Bible. But if you're a man, I guess this study Bible won't be very interesting for you. So just find a study Bible to your liking and you'll be fine. 
Now, if you don't know what a study Bible is, a study Bible gives you a lot of notes on the text of the scripture. So if you're a new Christian in particular, then a study Bible is going to be insanely helpful for you because it'll provide some more dialogue and explanation of some of the more difficult texts while also offering cross-references to other parts of the Bible for further explanation. So go find yourself a really good study Bible. And if you're in Australia, which is where I am, a good place to start is kurong.com, K-O-O-R-O-N-G.com. But speaking of which, this leads us to number three, which is choose a translation. It's important to get a Bible in a translation that both reflects what the original text meant, while also you're able to understand what is being said. When I was a youth leader, I had youth tell me all the time that they didn't want to read the Bible because of the these and the thou language and all Shakespearean of it all, and it was just very hard for them to understand, which completely makes sense. So let me break down types of translations that are out there, and you can pick some that you are drawn to and that you like. So translations like the King James Version, New King James Version, the New American Standard Bible, and the English Standard Version, they're all translations that try to keep as close to the form of the original Hebrew or Greek, both in words and grammar, while also trying to be in an understandable English. The closer you are to the original Hebrew or Greek, then the closer you are to a more literal translation. Translations like the New American Bible, New Jerusalem Bible, New Living Translation, New Revised Standard Version, and the New International Version, or today's New International Version, are translations that try to keep the meaning of the original Hebrew and Greek while also trying to add words into what would be more of a normal and modern way of saying the same thing in English. So somewhere between a literal translation and a functional translation. Translations like The New English Bible, the Living Bible, or the Message are translations that try to translate ideas from one language to the other without really being concerned with using the exact words of the original text. These translations are also known as paraphrases. A lot of Bible theology, Bible college nerds out there, they might come across as really snobbish when you talk to them about Bible translations, and they like to really stay away from paraphrases because it isn't entirely the original text. But honestly, in my opinion... I I would read multiple translations. I would look at it. I think it's really best practice to look at different translations while also noticing where they're different and then figuring out why there are differences. So two really good resources that I love for looking at different Bible translations is BibleGateway.com or the YouVersion Bible app. But as an honorable mention, I'm also going to say the BibleHub.com is also a really good one. For me personally, in rotation, I normally like to look at the New American Standard Bible, the Christian Standard Bible, the New International Version, the Good News Translation, and the Contemporary English Version, or the New Century Version. Now, I know it sounds like a lot, but it really, really does help to look at different translations. So next is number four, and number four is understand the genre. So just like how movies and music have genres, the Bible also has genres, believe it or not. The Bible has poetry, historical stories, lore, prophecies, wisdom literature, gospels, narrative, parables, and epistles, which are also known as letters. And lastly, it also has apocalyptic literature. When we know what genre a text is, then we're able to know how to interpret properly what we're reading. For example, the book of Psalms is made up of, you guessed it, 
psalms, <laughs> and psalms are a kind of poetry. It's full of figurative and symbolic language, so we need to keep that in mind while we're reading it. So let me just give you a quick summary of each genre and how we would interpret them. So number one, law. The Old Testament law is found in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and the purpose was to express God's will concerning how the Israelites would govern themselves, uh, what their priestly duties would be, their social responsibilities, and so on. So when we read it, we learn about the Hebrews' manners and customs of the given time, as well as knowing the covenants that the old Israelite people had with God. Second one is history. So almost all of the books in the Bible are given to us as stories from history, but specifically Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and I think Acts, uh, more about what I'm talking about. So if you also understand secular history, you'll also see that it aligns perfectly well with biblical history, and I mean things like the knowledge of the Roman Empire and stuff like that. So knowing both sides for this topic actually makes interpretation even more full of meaning. Third one is wisdom literature. So wisdom literature uh, includes the book of Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes, and it's full of short but memorable expressions or sayings that teach the meaning of life and how to live. So some of the language in it is metaphorical and it's also poetic, so remember that when you're studying it. The next one is Gospels. So this genre is the biographical narrative of Jesus Christ, and they're the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's as simple as I can really put it. In addition to these, though, you should also read books of Ruth, Esther, and Jonah, because they're also very much to the point in its message and structure. Next is epistles. Epistles, like I said earlier, are letters, usually formal letters, and there are 21 letters in the New Testament from the apostles of Jesus to different churches or people, from the book of Romans all the way to the book of Jude. They all have openings, a greeting, a body, and then a closing. They usually provide clarification of previous teaching, correction, and they also provide a deeper dive into the teachings of Jesus. Now, it's very important though when reading the letters to understand the cultural, historical, and social situations of the original recipients in order to get the most out of these books of the Bible. Finally, prophecy and apocalyptic literature. Prophetic writings are the Old Testament books of Isaiah through to Malachi and the New Testament book of Revelation. They include predictions of future events, warnings of coming judgment, and an overview of God's plan for Israel. There's a lot of symbols and imagery in these books, and a lot of people, including myself because I'm not perfect, <laughs> have got an interpretation of these books wrong, and sometimes have interpreted it according to their own emotions or their own bias. So these books are probably going to end up being the more difficult texts for you to learn if you're new, and that's okay, but with prayerful consideration and understanding the rest of the Bible with careful study, you'll learn it in time, so just don't rush these particular books. We won't always know everything when it comes to prophetic or apocalyptic literature, so don't let that discourage you if you read it and you're just bamboozled. <laughs> I guess, though, that can apply to all the books of the Bible. Just try not to add your own emotion or personal bias, but just try to be content in not always knowing for sure. And everyone will probably have their own different explanations for things that they may not like in the Bible, so just do your best when it comes to studying scripture. Okay, now number five. Number five is understand the content. I feel like this is really basic, but seriously, 
understand the words that are being used. So for example, what in the world is an ephod or a denarius or what even is a Sabbath? So those kinds of things. So sometime at the end of last year, I personally got really into learning Hebrew words, mostly because I found the most fascinating insights for them. So for example, the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah. So for us today, we might see wisdom as something purely just intellectual. But even though chokmah can mean a kind of knowledge or moral law, it actually can also mean application. So applying wisdom practically. Or another example is the word shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace. But it's so much more than just peace. It's not just the absence of conflict, but it's actually the complete embracing of harmony, security, right relationships, wholeness, health, prosperity, and success. So knowing words can add depth to your reading and understanding of the Bible. So I would highly recommend you looking into it. This is a really good place to recommend you Bible commentaries, I think. Now, I know at the start of the episode, I had mentioned not relying 100% on a Bible commentary. And I'm not saying that Bible commentaries are bad because I love reading Bible commentaries as well. But what I meant there was don't read Bible commentaries on their own. They're meant to be read in conjunction with the Bible. So don't just read about the Bible, read the Bible. So that's what I mean. Bible commentaries are supposed to supplement your Bible reading. So there's nothing wrong with Bible commentaries, let me make that very clear. Bible commentaries are to help you to know the context and the content of the scripture. They're basically a kind of book that's been written by a theologian to help other people understand the Bible better, verse by verse. So read it, alongside the Bible. When picking a commentary, try to look for ones that can provide information on historical context. It helps to answer content questions and provide thorough discussion of difficult parts. You want a commentary that talks about all the different possibilities of what the text could mean as well as providing supporting arguments for that. It'll provide insight into the culture, different points of interest, explanation of the Hebrew or the Greek words used, and provide a historical background of the book. So basically, a good commentary will dig deep into the theological issues instead of the author just sharing their opinion based on their experiences. It's balanced and not biased towards what the author prefers. Currently, like I said earlier, I'm in love and currently reading the Warren Wearsby B series, but another favourite of mine is R.C. Sproul's commentaries. Two other resources that'll help with understanding words is a biblical or a theological dictionary, as well as a lexicon. They'll help you to know the meaning and the use of each words, and they'll help you to translate and define between Hebrew, Greek, or Latin words. Okay, lastly, number six, um, I'm splitting this one into three parts. So six, part one is journal what you're learning. Now I used to do this as a new Christian, but then I stopped. Then I decided to recommit to journaling this year. You can literally buy a journal anywhere these days. I got a cute lion journal from Kmart for like $5, something at the start of the year like that. And it's just really good to get off technology every once in a while. I know I sound so old when I say that, but writing things with your actual hand improves memory, I believe. And it's a really good way of keeping track of your growth in this way because you're actually able to see it. And then in the future, you can go back and see how far you've come with your journey with God. And yeah, there have been times where I went through a very similar situation um, to what I did in the past. So I would go back to an old journal and then I would reread what I was taught in that time and then I would be refreshed by the lesson that I learned back then. So I would highly recommend journaling what you're learning. Okay, number six, part two, 
share what you're learning. So go to a connect group or a small group, whatever you want to call them, and share what you're learning from being in the Bible that day. Or share with your friends, your family, or your mentor. You can even share it to your Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, if you want to. Sometimes when you speak aloud your thought process or what you've learned or how you think God is, you know, teaching you or guiding you in your life because of what you're learning, you're able to see the pieces click together a lot easier. And sometimes people hearing what's been going on with you can be good. It can provide a good soundboard. People can add to what you've already said and help you to see things in a different way or provide insight. So I really believe in uh, sharing what you're learning. <laughs> Six part three, live what you're learning. God's word is really powerful and a lot of the time God will use what you've been learning in scripture to change our lives for the better and a lot of the time I can feel regret over things that I've done or towards things that have happened to me in the past and even though it's a struggle I find Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 to 14 a really great encouragement and it is an encouragement this time and it says this, I forget what lies behind and I reach towards what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. So you got to act on what you know and when you don't do what it says, you don't really know what it's saying. It's like chewing food but not swallowing it and you don't gain any nutritional value by it. So it's really important to live what you're learning. Don't just read it but actually do it as well. So to end today's episode, I just want to close with saying that I understand for some when you read the Bible, your faith increases, and for some people, the more you read, the more doubtful you can feel. And that's okay. You're not alone in feeling this way. Everyone has their doubts, and even people in the Bible have their doubts, which is why in these times, it's even more so important to be anchored in the truth when you're in the middle of your doubts. God doesn't try to actively hide himself. He is our heavenly father and he wants to be known by his children as a loving, compassionate and present parent, which is why when searching for him, we needed to be guided by his words and definitely not by our feelings. But don't bury your feelings, your your doubts, your skepticism. You can definitely share them with a trusted person, whether it's a pastor, a mentor or a teacher. You can even find like a trained theologian and take them out for coffee and a chat. We spiritually grow more in the right community. And I say the right community because there are a lot of fake Christians out there and people who don't really care about you and people who don't want you to succeed or grow. So yeah, many people have been in their church their whole lives and they've never even grasped what the Bible is even all about yet. Okay, this is my last quote for the episode, I promise, but John Ortberg had a really great explanation of this. God always knows what each person needs. He had Abraham take a walk, Elijah take a nap, Joshua take a lap, and Adam take the rap. He gave Moses a 40-year timeout, he gave David a harp and a dance, and he gave Paul a pen and a scroll. He wrestled with Jacob, argued with Job, whispered to Elijah, warned Cain, and comforted Hagar. He gave Aaron an altar, Miriam a song, Gideon a fleece, Peter a name, and Elisha a mantle. Jesus was stern with the rich young ruler, tender with the woman caught in adultery, patient with the disciples, blistering with the scribes, gentle with the children, and gracious with the thief on the cross. God never grows two people the same way. God is a handcrafter, not a mass producer. So take your turn. Start reading the Bible today. You have nothing to lose. And with all that being said, 
I want to end by saying thank you so much for joining me on this episode. If you've reached the end of this episode, I really hope you enjoyed it and I hope it was really useful to you. If the podcast is useful and helpful for you, if you're enjoying it, then I would love to invite you to share it on social media or share it with a friend. And if you do, please make sure to tag me so I can see it. And if you're not yet subscribed, let me take this opportunity to invite you to do that as well. You'll get notified whenever I upload new episodes. Well, thanks again for being with me on this journey and I will see you next time. Bye.